This is episode 392 of the AWS podcast, released on September 13th, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you back. And of course, I'm joined by Nikki Stone. G'day Nikki, how you doing? Hi Simon, doing good, you know, streaming from quarantine per the usual. <laughs> same old, same old. We have lots <laughs> and lots of updates to get through today. So we're going to get you through. Uh, and uh, I think we have over 150, which is kind of daunting, but uh, we will give it our absolute best shot. So we'll start on the topic of analytics. And Amazon Kinesis Data Streams has new two new uh, API features to make it easier to consume. So you can now do the filtering of the list shards API. So this lets you set up filtering criteria so you can only get the shards you want. So things like timestamp to get the uh, shards with data at a certain time point, etc. The second feature is called child shards. And this allows you to discover child shards of a closed shard without having to use the list shard and get all the closed and open shards. All that means it works a lot faster and it's a lot more powerful. Some other updates, Kinesis Data Firehose now supports data delivery to MongoDB Cloud, to HTTP endpoints, to New Relic, and to Datadog. So lots of options in terms of where you send your data. And if you want to look at your data, you're going to use Amazon QuickSight. And it now has folders, a new calculations editor experience, and far more. So folders let Admins and authors simplify sharing and permissions management over thousands of dashboards and analyses, etc. It also gives you a nice hierarchical discovery model, all kinds of power to create the folders and the shared folders. You can also have personal folders as well, so it makes organizing all that a lot easier. Also, the QuickSight Calculations Editor has a complete revamp. So it's a new full-screen editing experience, autocomplete on fields and functions, syntax and error highlighting, commenting in calculations, formatting for multi-line calculations, searchable reference pane, lots and lots and lots of stuff to make it easy. And it also now supports dynamic default values for multi-valued parameters. So this helps add the support that already existed for single-valued parameters. It makes it even easier to use. Quick update for AWS Glue version 2. It has 10 times faster job start times and one minute minimum billing duration. Now, this is important because it really helps you when you're running micro batch or deadline sensitive or interactive workloads more cost effectively. So this is why you might be interested in that sort of uh, higher fidelity uh, ability there because it means you can get things working quickly. Now, if you're not using AWS Glue, you can now stop and restart your workflows. So again, more control over your orchestration as well. Amazon EMR now offers more options to diversify your spot requests and get steep discounts. We love those discounts. You can specify up to 15 EC2 instance types in your EMR instance fleets using the capacity optimized allocation strategy to diversify your instance requests and get those discounts. Previously, they only allowed a maximum of five instance types. So that's 15 now that you can diversify across for the discounts. Amazon Elasticsearch service now supports an integration with Tableau and Microsoft Excel. So with these two new integrations, you know, you can visualize your data across Tableau or Excel. Um, the integration with Excel also allows users to use advanced functionality like a power query or self-service business intelligence for Excel and export data in the format of choice, such as CSV or uh, other formats as well. Cosine similarity support is also now in Amazon Elasticsearch service. So 
it now supports cosine sim similarity distance metric with k-nearest neighbor to power your similarity search engine. Cosine similarity is used to measure similarities between two vectors, irrespective of their size, and is most commonly used in information retrieval, image recognition, text similarity, bioinformatics, and recommendation systems. And lastly, in this topic, AWS Data Exchange now supports adding data sets to existing products. So you, it now enables data providers to publish additional data sets to their existing products. And data providers that want to structure their data across multiple data sets or would like to enrich their products with additional data can now publish those data sets to their products using the AWS Data Exchange console or programmatically as well using the APIs. Once the data set's added, all new subscriptions will have access to the data set and existing subscribers will receive a CloudWatch event notifying them of the new data set. Nifty. Moving on to the topic of application integration. AWS Step Functions now has support for string manipulation. It has new comparison operators and improved output processing. So you can do all kinds of new things when you're managing your particular workflow. So customers can now use an additional choice state operator such as test for null value and the existence of a variable wildcarding and variable to variable comparison. I know a lot of people Love this go, one. yay, I could do this. Love this one. <laughs> Nikki's one of those people. <laughs> you get global access to the context object, dynamic timeouts, result selection. You can also use built-in intrinsic functions such as string and array construction, string to JSON, JSON to string. We'd never use those functions, would we? <laughs> All the time. Uh, so lots of lots of good updates there. Uh, AWS AppSync uh, has released direct Lambda resolvers for GraphQL APIs. So this is a new way to interact with your AWS Lambda data sources via GraphQL and AppSync. Now, what you can do is you can now build flexible GraphQL resolvers in the runtime of your choice without VTL. And basically what this means is all you need to do is model and define your data in a GraphQL schema, add data sources and configure the resolvers, which link to the data defined in the GraphQL schema with the data sources. Now, uh, to, to make this work quickly, you would use Apache Velocity Templates VTL to provide a rich set of resolving mapping templates and built-in utilities. Now, with direct Lambda resolvers, you can bypass that mapping template and consolidate all the request and response mapping and business logic for a GraphQL type field or operation in your Lambda function. So what this means is you can use the runtime of your choice to power your GraphQL resolver logic without VTL. You can also use a combination, depends on your situation, but it's kind of useful for people who want to have a bit more flexibility in how they build. Love those two updates. Moving on to the topic of business applications. I also love this one too. Amazon Chime introduces Amazon Voice Focus for noise suppression. Uh, so Amazon Voice Focus is a deep learning based noise suppression to reduce unwanted noise when you're having Chime meetings. That's great. So it can reduce environment noises like wind, fans, running water, background noises like children, dogs barking, keyboard typing, shuffling papers, all kinds of things. I think that's a uh, very needed right now. Um, <laughs> Super important update. <laughs> definitely. Amazon Chime app and its SDK now support meetings in additional AWS regions. Uh, Africa, Cape Town, Europe, Milan, Asia Pacific, Mumbai, and Asia Pacific Seoul regions are now supported for the Chime app. So you should join the Chime fun. Uh, especially now with that noise suppression detail feature. Absolutely. Moving on to the topic of compute, there are a bunch of updates here. So the Amazon EC2 C5 AD instances featuring the second generation AMD EPIC processors are now available. So these run at frequencies of up to 3.3 gigahertz and also have uh, local NV 
ME-based SSD block storage, physically connected to the host servers. Uh, these instances give you processing at 10% lower cost over comparable instances. So as with all EC2 things, you want to move to the latest generation, you'll typically get a benefit. Speaking of benefits, the uh, EC2 M6G, C6G and R6G instances provided by or powered, I should say, by the AWS Gravitron 2 processors are now available in Asia-Pacific, Mumbai, Singapore, and Sydney regions. I mention this because I live in this area, but also it gives you <laughs> way more performance and lower cost. It is, it is pretty impressive. It, you can get up to 40% better price performance over comparable x86-based instances for a broad spectrum of workloads, so it's a very nice way to save money very quickly. Also, Amazon EKS now has support for ARM-based instances powered by AWS Graviton, and it's also generally available. So again, if you want to base your EKS on a lower-cost, high-performance platform, that would be the way to go. And another really interesting one is the AWS Controllers for Kubernetes Preview, or ACK, um, because we like to say ACK all the time. Um, <laughs> and this allows you to define and use AWS service resources directly from Kubernetes. So you don't have to define resources outside of the cluster or run services that provide the supporting capabilities like databases or message queues within the cluster. You can just call straight out to it. So it's in developer preview. It supports S3, SNS, SQS, DynamoDB, Amazon ECR, and the AWS API gateway. Amazon EKS has a bunch of announcements here. Uh, first one, they now support UDP load balancing with the network load balancer. So you can now use a network load balancer to distribute UDP traffic to container-based apps running on EKS, uh, which is awesome. Until now, you could only use the network load balancers on EKS with the TCP protocol. Uh, so you, with this new integration, you can run workloads such as DNS, IoT, real-time media, and syslog using the UDP protocol. EKS on Fargate now supports EFS file systems. So Fargate will use the EFS CSI driver to automatically mount an EFS file system requested by a pod running on Fargate without the need for a manual driver installation, which enables persistent regional shared storage sheet to be used by the pods running on Fargate, which is awesome. EKS managed node groups now supports EC2 launch templates and custom AMIs. Uh, so you can now use launch templates to customize EC2 instance settings for nodes managed by EKS. And when combined, managed node groups with launch templates make it really simple to add and update nodes to your cluster while adhering to any level of specialized security or compliance requirements. EKS quotas can now be managed through AWS service quotas. So admins can now view and manage their quotas through AWS service quotas. There's a lot of announcements for EKS. There were heaps there. Uh, AWS Copilot CLI now has version 0.3 focused on operations and configuration. So this is used for the Elastic Container Service. And you can now configure details about your environment, such as pre-existing VPC, subnets, side arranges, which means you can use infrastructure that was created outside of AWS Copilot. Also lets you build your services with overrides, so arguments to use in a Docker file or the ability to set a context for a Docker file. Lots and lots of capability of this very interesting tool. Amazon ECS also launches the Amazon ECS Optimized Inferentia API. So this is really useful because it's a new Amazon Linux 2 based AMI for the inf one instances on ECS. Basically, if you want to run Inferentia-based containers on ECS, this is the way to do it, and it comes pre-baked with all the necessary AWS Neuron packages. So this delivers the high-performance 
and lowest cost machine learning inference in the cloud, up to 16 of those AWS Inferentia chips. And so if you're doing high performance machine learning uh, or any other similar type of application work, this is the instance type for you. ECS also has launched more network metrics for containers using the EC2 launch type. So now you can run it in either bridge or AWS VPC networking modes, and you can measure the rate of network traffic to and from your containers in both ECS Container Insights in Amazon CloudWatch or the ECS Task Metadata Endpoint. So this means you can measure bytes transmitted or received per second and see whether your containers are processing requests from the internet or other applications. You can also use the Task Metadata Endpoint to get packets received, transmitted or lost for containers using AWS VPC mode and EC2 launch type as well. So it gives you lots more control over what's going on. Now the ECS team was busy. Uh, so there is now also CloudFormation support for Amazon EFS volume. So if you're combining those two, you can use CloudFormation to set them up. Fargate launched usage metrics and applied service quotas visibility. So you can now view and manage your quotas using service quotas for Fargate. So you could do that for EKS. And now you can also do that for Fargate. Fargate for ECS now supports UDP load balancing with Network Load Balancer. Again, we, we talked about this with EKS. Now you can again uh, use a Network Load Balancer to distribute UDP traffic to container-based apps running on Fargate additionally. So if you just want to just, just generic Fargate, not EKS on Fargate, uh, you can use uh, a Network Load Balancer with UDP traffic, which is awesome. Uh, ECR now supports encryption of images using KMS keys. Uh, so the ECR now supports the use of customer master keys managed by KMS to encrypt container images stored in your ECR repositories. So that's awesome. So you can get your images. Um, Lambda now supports Amazon managed streaming for Apache Kafka as an event source. So that gives you know you a lot of choices now when you stream data from Lambda. So you can build Apache Kafka consumer apps with Lambda functions without worrying about any infrastructure management which is awesome. And Lambda, this is a, this is an awesome one. I love this one. Now supports custom runtimes on Amazon Linux 2. Uh, I've been waiting for this one for a while, so I'm particularly excited for this one. Uh, I definitely <laughs> work with some custom runtimes on uh, on AL2. So stoked. Now we have support for AL2. Uh, Lambda was very busy. Uh, now support Java 8. So you can develop Lambda functions using Java 8 or Coretto. Well, Coretto, exactly, to be specific. <laughs> yeah, Coretto, to be specific. And uh, Lambda now supports Go on Amazon Linux 2 as well. So that's custom runtimes on Amazon Linux 2 and Go as well. And Lambda now provides IAM condition keys for VPC settings. So you can now govern the VPC settings of your Lambda functions using IAM condition keys. And using these keys, you can enforce that users only deploy functions that are connected to a VPC. VPC-enabled functions send all traffic through that VPC and then have to abide by your VPC's network controls. And you can use these network controls to define where your functions can connect. And you can also restrict access to network locations, including the internet. That is very, very cool. The EC2 image builder components can now be developed locally. So now you can develop and troubleshoot your components to customize and test your AMIs on your laptop or developer or test servers. So that makes it a lot easier to build. The NICE DCV has released version 2020.1, which has printer redirection and support for Amazon EC2 sixth generation instances based on Graviton 2. And all that will become 
even more relevant in updates of the future. Amazon EC2 on-demand capacity reservations now support group targeting. So with this feature, you can now use capacity reservations seamlessly for workloads that span availability zones and multiple instance types. And this feature integrates seamlessly with EC2 auto scaling and EC2 fleet as well. So it makes it easy to organize how you reserve and allocate things. And AWS Cloud Map simplifies Amazon EC2 instance registration. You can now register EC2 instances in AWS Cloud Map by providing the EC2 instance identifiers instead of the IP address when using HTTP namespaces. So AWS Cloud Map is a cloud resource discovery service and you can define custom names for your application resources like Amazon EC2 instances or ECS tasks or S3 buckets or any other cloud resource. And the application can then discover the location and the metadata of cloud resources associated with these custom names via the AWS SDK or by making authenticated API calls. Now in the past, when you registered your EC2 instances, you used the IP address. Now you can just use the EC2 identifier, which I'm very happy about. And Amazon LightSail now offers cPanel and WHM instance blueprint. So you can now create instances with cPanel and WHM pre-installed and this means that the curated selection of options is even larger and this is a very common one that people like. Um, and also the cPanel and WHM software has a 15-day trial license so you can test it out to see if you like it. Moving on to the topic of cost management, Fargate for EKS is now included in the Compute Savings Plan, which is a flexible pricing model that allows customers to save money in exchange for making a commitment to a consistent amount of compute usage for a one or three year term. So these plans are automatically applied to usage across all of its supported services and now which includes Fargate for EKS. Elastic load balancing simplifies your AWS bill by introducing a new billing section. Uh, so that's cool. So they're now making a change with how they present elastic load balancing charges in your bill in the cost and usage reports to make it really easy to understand your monthly elastic load balancing spend. These changes are now effective in all AWS regions beginning August 2020. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, AWS announces Contact Center Intelligence Solutions or CCI. Now these enable customers using Contact Center solutions to leverage off-the-shelf functionality powered by machine learning like text-to-speech, translation, enterprise search, chatbots, business intelligence and language comprehension. The uh, solution lets you get greater efficiencies and deliver increasingly tailored customer experiences within your existing Contact Center platform with no machine learning required. And this is focused on three stages of the call center or contact center workflow. Self-service, live call analytics and agent assist, and post-call analytics. And these are all available through participating APN partners, so it's a really interesting capability. Now, if you want to learn more about Amazon Connect, there are now six free new digital courses that help developers ramp up on how to use contact centers using Amazon Connect. And these are on-demand, Courses designed for developers and technical professionals. So a good one to get into. Each one's 45 minutes, so a good way to get up and running. And Amazon Connect also now has contact centers uh, or has provided contact centers the ability to auto-resolve to the best voice. So they can automatically resolve to the best sounding version of the poly text-to-speech voice or TTS voice. Instead of manually updating the settings within every set voice block, you can just choose the one you want. 
Also, Amazon Connect now has cut, copy, and paste in the contact flow designer, and I'm very happy about that because I love using the designer, but that was a feature <laughs> that was missing, so now it's there. Uh, Connect has been really busy. They now have support for early media on outbound phone calls, so uh, you can control whether contact center agents hear early media audio like busy signals, failure to connect errors, or other informational messages when making outbound calls. And it also now returns agents to their previous status after finishing an outbound call as well. So you kind of return back to where you were. Also, (laughs) been very, very busy. Uh, The Amazon Connect CTI adapter for Salesforce now has CTI flows, which allows customers to build agent interactions with a drag and drop UI within Salesforce Lightning or Classic. So you can combine your CRM with your contact center experience. And finally, Amazon SES, the simple email service, now lets customers bulk import and bulk delete email addresses from the account level suppression list. So this helps you send, avoid I should say, sending email to addresses that are previously produced a bounce or complaint event. You know, when you're doing bulk emails, you need to make sure the quality of who you're sending to is appropriate and you're not getting lots of bounces. This lets you do this at a much broader scale and much easier to do it on a multiple basis. Moving on to the topic of database, Elasticash for Redis now supports up to 500 nodes per cluster. So you can scale your Redis cluster up to 500 nodes. Uh, So with this announcement, you can double your cluster size from 250 nodes to 500 nodes, thereby supporting larger memory storage capacity of up to 340 terabytes of memory. Yes, that was terabytes of memory and improved throughput per cluster. (laughs) That is insane. (laughs) Elasticash also announced support for resource level permission policies. So you can assign permissions to specific resources in IAM policies. You can now assign a principal permission to specific Elasticash resource or resources. Prior to this release, Elasticash did not support resource level permissions, customers could only assign permissions to all resources for a given action. So with this release, you can now do fine-grained IAM policies that allow specific access to specific resources. Amazon Neptune announces graph visualization in Neptune Workbench. So Neptune now allows you to visualize your graph using the Neptune Workbench. Graphs store relationships and customers find it very easy to visualize the nodes, edges, and properties to navigate their graphs and see patterns. Neptune also has introduced an alternative query engine in lab mode. So this significantly speeds up query execution by improving the resource utilization of database instances. DFE runs both Sparkle and Gremlin queries and supports a wide variety of plan types, including lefty, bushy, and hybrid plans. Yeah, I'm not, not going to ask you to explain what all those plans were, Nikki, because uh, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> either really of us know. Names, right? Lefty, bushy. <laughs> and the funny thing is when you say left deep, I, th- I keep thinking you're saying lefty. <laughs> hey, lefty. <laughs> Sorry. Left deep. Two words. <laughs> Thank Even you. More specific. Moving on, Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator DAX now supports next-gen memory-optimized Amazon EC2 R5 nodes. So that's going to be for your high-performance applications. R5 nodes are based on the Nitro system and feature enhanced networking based on the Elastic Network Adapter. Memory-optimized R5 nodes offer memory size flexibility from 16 to 768 gigabytes. So that's DAX. Oh, the, that's uh, awesome. That, that is very one of my favorites, that one. 
the RDS team have been super, super busy. So uh, there is now a preview for Amazon RDS M6G and R6G instance type. So these are our good old AWS Graviton 2 processors. So this will be really interesting to see the kind of performance benefits we get for those. So keep an eye out for that one. Amazon Aurora now also supports in-place upgrade from Postgres 10 to Postgres SQL 11. So it's kind of a big deal <laughs> to be able to update in-place. And uh, also uh, support uh, for RDS for Postgres SQL is now minor versions 12.3, in GovCloud. Just to remind you that uh, sometimes those ones are a little bit different. And also the RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle Application Express or Apex version 20.1. Moving on to the topic of developer tools. Love, 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 love. Amazon Coretto 8 and 11 support has been extended. So we are extending long-term support for Amazon Coretto 8 from June 2023 to May 2026. And for Amazon Coretto 11, it will be extended from the original date of August 2024 to now September 2027. Uh, Long-term support includes security updates and specific performance enhancements that are released at least quarterly. That's pretty That is awesome. some serious <laughs> long-term support. I like that's That's serious. like seven well, years. Like, <laughs> holy moly. <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, we just extended out quite a while. So if you are worried about it up and coming, uh, you worry no longer. <laughs> we gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Cloud9 has released enhanced VPC support. Uh, so prior to this release, Cloud9 environments had to have a public IP address and the SSH support configured to be accessible from Cloud9. Now we have a reinforced our security posture by no longer requiring inbound connections to Cloud9 environments. And this release adds support for creating Cloud9 environments in a private subnet with no ingress and optionally no egress. Yes. Cloud code deploy. Sorry. I was just celebrating. <laughs> yes. I know a lot of our customers have wanted that one, so that's a, a big deal. No no public SSH and no public internet. It's a good thing. Yes. Let's talk code deploy. So AWS Code Deploy now supports deployments to VPC endpoints. So now you can uh, be able to use code deploy without using the internet gateway or public IP addresses or even a VPN connection. And AWS Code Deploy Agent also has improved compatibility for Amazon Linux 2, Windows, and Ubuntu. So fixes a few things and makes it work even better. And uh, I think, Nikki, let's talk CodeGuru. CodeGuru Viewer now has full repository analysis support. So this one's pretty cool. If you're not familiar with CodeGuru Viewer, it will scan your code for critical issues, identify bugs, and recommend how to remediate them. And it now supports the ability to analyze all the code in a repository package or source code branch. Uh, you can get automated code review recommendations for your associated repos for all the code, not just incremental changes through pull requests under a specified code branch. And the use cases for these code review recommendations could be during code migration, code due diligence, and periodic code maintainability initiatives. Uh, so that's really, really cool. Full repository analysis. It's awesome. I definitely want to check that out now. <laughs> CodeBuild now supports code coverage reporting. Uh, this is pretty cool. So CodeBuilds now support for test reporting includes support for code coverage. So code coverage reports will give you detailed and actionable view of your test code coverage in CodeBuild, making it easier for you to identify the proportion and lines of code that are being tested. You can also view historical trends and aggregated metrics for the tests executed on CodeBuild inside these coverage reports. 
CodeBuild also now supports parallel and coordinated executions of a build project. Uh, so it now supports the execution of concurrent and coordinated builds of a project with batch builds. Batch builds now support the configuration and ordering of build executions with either a configuration list, configuration matrix, or a dependency graph of build definitions. And they're intended for customers targeting different platforms or executing builds that depend on each other to produce artifacts. I love this one. That one's really, really cool. And lastly, yeah, S3 features are now available in the AWS toolkits for VS Code. So VS Code previously had, uh, I think, only Lambda support. So now customers can do take S3 actions inside the toolkit for VS Code. So all CRUD operations for S3 can be performed, creating objects in buckets, adding folders to buckets, deleting objects, and viewing the contents of objects. It's really cool to see the VS Code That's plugin really cool. develop. Yeah, very cool. Uh, it's, a, it's awesome. I love that I'm not, a, I'm not a VS Code user, so that was that's interesting to see what it can do. Love that one. Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, Amazon AppStream 2.0 now has support for the native desktop experience. So previously you would only see the windows of the applications that were launched. With this launch, you can enable desktop view on your fleet, which provides the same desktop experience your users are used to when the existing non-persistent capabilities of AppStream 2.0 provided as well. So basically you can get a better view that feels more normal <laughs> to people, if I can put it that way. Uh, Amazon AppStream 2.0 also now has a support for local printer redirection. So now you can uh, do – this is for the, the AppStream 2.0 client for Windows, I should say. It now lets users redirect their print jobs from their streaming application to a printer that's connected to their local computer. No printer driver needs to be installed in the AppStream 2.0 streaming instance to enable users to print documents during their streaming sessions. Can I say how wonderful that is to read? <laughs> I know about you, Nikki, but in my career, I've spent a lot of time installing printer drivers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I haven't spent as long as you, but there was definitely a time period where I had to deal with printer drivers. <laughs> I think, yeah, sucked. Yeah. Moving on to the topic of Internet of Things, the AWS IoT device management increases the limit for concurrent active jobs to 1,000 per AWS account per region. So that's uh, up from 100. So more capacity. You don't have to do anything. You just get it. Um and you can also get a higher limit from that. You just need to put in a limit increase and you can get that. There are three new courses for APM partners on IoT and data analytics. So these allow you to um, understand a bit more about what's going on in that world. There's the AWS Solutions Training for Partners IoT on AWS, the IoT on AWS Technical and Business Version, and also a Data Analytics on AWS Business Version as well. Now, these are available as, um, as digital courses and there's also uh, classroom courses available too. AWS IT Device Defender now has audit finding suppression capability. So this lets you choose which audit findings you want to see and turn off non-compliant findings for specific resources. This can be because you're either working towards fixing the related issue or because you know that they're not going to be compliant like a test or a broken device and you just don't want to see that alert all the time. So you have the option to do that. And there's also now a new AWS Solutions Consulting offer, which is called IoT Foundations. And this is delivered via consulting engagement from Trek 10, which is an AWS APN partner uh, and premier consulting partner with the AWS DevOps and AWS IoT Consulting and AWS SaaS Consulting competencies. And this is useful for when you want to create and connect devices to an AWS IoT infrastructure. These devices can be conceptual pre-production or ready to go to market regardless of the device stage. And this can scale and give you benefits straight up and you can get up and running really, really quick. 
Moving on to the topic of machine learning, Amazon Augmented AI launches delete human task UI capability. So Amazon Augmented AI makes it easy to build workflows required for human review of machine learning predictions, such as predictions with recognition, text track, translate, comprehend, or SageMaker. And you now have the capability to delete human task UI using Amazon A2I. A human task UI resource defines the HTML template used to render the worker UI and tools for human review tasks. You can start by visiting the worker task template section on the Amazon A2I console, choosing the template that you would like to delete and clicking on the delete button. It's that easy. You can also, of course, use the API to call the delete human task UI API to delete those tasks. After you delete it, the task UI no longer appears on the worker task template section on the Amazon Augmented AI console. And after deleting, if you use the task UI name as an input in any of the API operations, Amazon A2I will return a resource not found error. Any existing human loops will not be impacted and you will no longer be able to start new human loops for that deleted human task UI. That's really interesting. This one I, uh, I really like. Uh, Amazon Transcribe now supports speaker labeling for streaming transcription. So you can label between two and 10 speakers within a single live audio stream. Popular use cases include leveraging speaker labels for real-time contact center phone calls, audio, live stream, live media broadcasts, and even patient-clinician interactions during telehealth sessions, which apparently are the normal now. <laughs> Transcribe has has also launched, uh, this one is really interesting, you're going to find this one interesting, custom language models. So we previously had custom vocabulary, right? Which, you know, you can give, uh, transcribe a set of vocabulary words, a list of lexicon terms, but custom language models allows you to leverage pre-existing data to build your own custom speech engine tailored for your transcription use case. How cool is that? That's really cool. So, you know, this is useful for uh, anybody who operates in domains that are diverse, like law, finance, hospitality, insurance, and media, because now you can basically use Transcribe with your own data set. I mean, wow, we are basically doing all the hard parts of machine learning for you. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty nifty. Uh, so look forward to seeing what people do with that one. Uh, Amazon Translate now supports translation of Office Open XML documents. So this is really useful if you've got Office Open XML documents in DocX, PPTX, and XLSX, hard to say, format. Um, mm -hmm. And it also increased the file size limit for each document in batch translation from 1 meg to 20 meg. Uh, so now you can do a large collection of these if you want to, stored in a folder or in an S3 bucket using the new asynchronous batch translation service. And that's also in addition to the synchronous translation service that's already available. So lots more choice there. Amazon Personalize can now create up to 50% better recommendations for fast-changing catalogs of new products and fresh content. And this is measured by click-through rates. So improved recommendations, not that the recommendation is better unless someone decides that it's actually better um, by using it. So without needing to change any application code, etc., this lets you use Personalize to give customers a better view of fresh content and better recommendations without having to do any work. So Personalize is something that really can make the customer experience a lot better in terms of the interaction you have. It's also enhanced recommendation filters with filtering on item metadata. And so what this allows you to do is give you greater control on recommendations that your users receive by allowing you to exclude or include items to recommend based on criteria that you define. So for example, when recommending products from your e-retail store, you can exclude 
unavailable items from recommendations. Or if you're recommending videos to users, you can choose to only recommend premium content if the user is in a particular subscription tier. So normally people would write custom code for this. You no longer have to. Amazon Comprehend has added five new languages to custom entity recognition. So you can instantly extract product names, financial entities, or any term relevant from unstructured text documents using custom entity recognition. And we've now added support for five new languages, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish. Uh, Comprehend now has private link support, which I, I love all the private link support. Love, love, love. Basically now you can, you know, hit Comprehend via private link from your VPC without uh, needing an internet gateway or a NAT device or a firewall proxy, uh, which is awesome. Textract now detects and extracts text even more accurately from tables. So what that means is that there's a quality enhancement to the table recognition feature. The new model detects rows and columns of large tables that span an entire page more accurately. And overall table detection and extraction of data and text within tables has also been improved, which is awesome. Tables are hard. <laughs> tables are really hard. Uh, one of the things I like about a lot of these machine learning services is they're, they're constantly improving. That's kind of the point. And as a, as a customer and a developer, you get the benefit. And so Amazon Forecast now uses convolutional neural networks or CNNs to train forecasting models up to two times faster with up to 30% higher accuracy. So this means you get much better performance and uh, I guess outcomes from that without having to do anything. So um Basically, you can just use the new CNN algorithm. There's a, a blog post that explains how to do it. And you can use this in all regions where forecast is publicly available. Amazon Lex has launched accuracy improvements and confidence scores as well. So confidence scores are surfaced for the top five intents in the bot. And you can combine confidence scores with business knowledge to improve your understanding of a user's intent. So for example, uh, a customer's request to a banking bot. You know, what's my balance? In this example, the bot would identify multiple intents. It could be checking, saving, or credit card accounts, which reflects the ambiguity of the request. In such a case where two or more intents are matched with a reasonably high confidence, intense, intent classification confidence scores can help you determine when you need to use business logic to clarify the user's intent. If the user only has a credit card, then you can trigger the intent to surface the balance of the credit card. Alternatively, if the user has both a credit card and checking account, you can pose a clarification question such as, is this on your credit card or checking account before proceeding with the query? So what this means is it's a more natural and relevant flow because as a, as a customer, you don't want to be presented with an option you don't even have. So, you know, the computer should know. Well, Lex can know. Uh, Amazon Forecast has also added uh, holiday calendars for 66 countries to improve forecast accuracy because holidays change things. Um, Memorial Day in the US or Australia Day in Australia can have a significant impact on your product demand, workforce planning or infrastructure demand forecasts. Um, so, for example, apparently, Nikki, you can confirm this to me, for the Halloween holiday in the US, demand for certain products such as candy and chocolates may increase. Oh, my, definitely. Is that true? Definitely. It's all about candy. I'm wondering if, if, if uh, toilet paper for throwing at houses also increases at that time. I don't know. Only during coronavirus pandemic. Okay. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Introducing genomics, tertiary analysis, and machine learning using SageMaker. So this is a new solutions implementation that creates a scalable environment in AWS to develop machine learning models using genomics data, generate predictions, and evaluate 
model performance. Uh, so that's an awesome solution that you can check out if you are interested in using genomics data. Uh, Step Functions has added support for SageMaker processing. So you can include SageMaker processing in your workflows using Step Functions, which allows you to build data processing and compute steps in your machine learning workflows without leaving SageMaker. Love this one. So you can use the Step Functions Data Science SDK with Amazon SageMaker processing to create and visualize end-to-end -end machine learning workflows. Or workflows can be built in Python and visualized within Jupyter Notebooks. I love that one because I love step functions so much. Yeah, uh, and it's lastly, very cool. Lastly, uh, Deep Composer has launched a new learning capsule that deep dives into training an autoregressive CNN model. In this new capsule, developers learn how to manipulate data used to train an AR CNN model to generate a composition. The capsule explains the use of data augmentation to teach the model to generate target musical composition notes, and the use of custom loss function to accurately measure the learning progress of the model. Additionally, the capsule helps you learn the optimal data set size, instrument limitations, and data organization to train a custom genre model using the SageMaker notebook. That's really cool if you like Deep Composer. Very nice. Yeah. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, AWS Systems Manager OpCenter now has CloudWatch graphs for monitoring and simplifies remediation with the contextual runbooks, which I'm pretty excited about. Basically, this means you can operate stuff without managing or navigating, I should say, across multiple consoles. So you can view, investigate, and resolve your operational items, known as ops items, for AWS resources. Uh, so, for example, while you're troubleshooting an, an ops item for EC2, you can see CloudWatch graphs that display the trend for CPU utilization and network traffic along with disk-related metrics. And then the ops center would recommend applicable runbook, such as uh, restart EC2 instance or stop EC2 instance and automatically pre-fills required values such as instance ID for quicker resolution times. Now, in each ops item, the list of runbooks is automatically filtered to reflect recommended runbooks for the specific issue. Very, very cool. If you've ever done any ops, this is a nice, nice thing. Uh, AWS Systems Manager Explorer now provides multi-account summary of AWS support cases, so you can see them all rolled up nice and easy. You can also view, uh, you can also, I should say, query the Explorer data directly using the AWS API to create your own customized reports as well. So lots of options of how you get that data. And you can now manage a popular third-party agent from AWS Systems Manager Distributor. So with this launch, you can select a pre-built agent directly from the distributor without having to create or maintain any software packages. The Trend Micro Cloud One agent is the first agent offered, and we're going to see other ones on the way as well. CloudWatch Application Insights has added support for CloudFormation templates. So you can now enable monitoring for resources using CloudWatch Application Insights that you can provision via CloudFormation templates in either JSON or YAML. And lastly in this topic, AWS License Manager has added the ability to enforce license assignment rules with EC2 dedicated hosts. Uh, so customers can specify their EC2 dedicated host management preferences, such as host allocation, host capacity utilization, and instant placement in the License Manager. And they can manage such assignment rules using the license manager by specifying the period for which the license should remain assigned to EC2 dedicated hosts. AWS then takes care of these management tasks on customers' behalf and allows them to launch instances on those dedicated hosts just like they would launch an EC2 instance with AWS-provided licenses. The ability to enforce assignment rules, of course, further simplifies the Windows and SQL Server bring-your-own license experience on AWS. 
Moving on to the topic of media, Amazon Interactive Video Service, or IVS, now has support for playback authorization, so you now have control over who can watch your live streams. When you want to gate your content, you can use the playback authorization feature to restrict your streams by channel and viewer, and playback authorization manages access to video playlists as well. Live streaming on AWS with Media Package also now includes QVBR encoding. So if that's a level of encoding you want, that's the quality defined variable bitrate, it is now available to you. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer, the AWS transfer family has added predefined security policies to choose cryptographic algorithms. As you can control the cryptographic algorithms used for communication between your end users, file transfer clients, and AWS transfer family server endpoints, which can help you meet your organization's requirements for security and compatibility. AWS DataSync has simplified automation with API filters. DataSync now supports filtering for the list tasks and list locations API calls, which enables you to easily retrieve configuration of data transfer tasks using filters, such as the source or destination for the data transfer. With this new feature, you can automate the setup and monitoring of workloads that involve hundreds of DataSync tasks. And lastly in this topic, AWS Database Migration Service now supports enhanced pre-migration assessments. So you can use pre-migration assessments to identify potential database migration problems before initiating your migration. Once the task is set up, a pre-migration assessment scans both the source and target database schemas and the migration task settings to identify a list of potential issues ranging from a data type mismatch to possible performance issues. You can select one or more pre-migration assessments to run on your database migration tasks and review the results, of course, in the console or in an S3 bucket. Very nice. Now, moving on to the topic of mobile, the first update here, I think, Nikki, you should take, and then I'll do the other. It's a big one for my team. Amplify Flutter is now available in developer preview. Uh, we know you've been asking for this. We've heard your cries and your calls on GitHub and every other form of social media. Uh, we have answered, and you are now able to use Flutter with three Amplify categories, more to come very soon. So we have functionality for auth, analytics, and storage, and then API, data store, and predictions are coming very soon. Uh, but for all of the Flutter developers out there, we just want you to know that we have heard your requests and we hope that you are going to take advantage of Amplify Flutter and uh, tell us how it is. Very nifty. Well done. API Gateway HTTP APIs now have integration with the five AWS services. So now you can create the HTTP APIs at route request to AWS App Config, Event Bridge, Amazon Kinesis Data Streams, Amazon SQS, and AWS Step Functions. So it makes it nice and easy to integrate. And the API Gateway now supports enhanced observability via access logs. So there are new access logging variables to let you get a step-by-step -step breakdown of an API's call phases, latencies, and status codes. So you can get deeper insight when you're troubleshooting, which we need. And also Amazon API Gateway HTTP APIs now support wildcard custom domain names, which is very, very cool. So this uh, extends the current support for wildcard custom domains to include HTTP APIs as well. So now you don't have to be specific, you can use wildcards, which makes life a bit easier. This last one here is another win for my team. Uh, we've announced Swift combined support for Amplify iOS. So, you know, if you use uh, Swift, you might be familiar with callback hell. Uh, and so we've now enhanced your asynchronous call support by adding combine. So, de dependent asynchronous calls 
no longer have to be nested within callbacks and you can use and take advantage of combine to avoid callback hell. Always a good thing. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery. AWS Firewall Manager now supports security groups on application load balancers and classic load balancers, so an extension of capability there. AWS Site-to-Site VPN now supports additional encryption, integrity, and key exchange algorithms. So a bunch of new ones, including uh, AS128 GCM16, 256 GCM16, Diffie-Hellman Groups 192021, and integrity tests of SHA-2384 and SHA-2512. These are all relevant if you need to meet certain compliance requirements. And AWS Site-to-Site VPN now supports IPv6 traffic as well. So you can do this to support either IPv4 or v6 as well. And you select it when you're creating your new VPN connection. And of course, uh, another update for Site-to-Site VPN, it now supports tagging resources upon creation and resource level permissions, all important things to make managing them easily easier. Application and classic load balancers are adding defense in depth with the introduction of desync mitigation mode. Uh, So HTTP desync mitigation mode is a new feature that protects your application from issues due to HTTP desync. Uh, So web apps are typically built with a chain of proxies that ensure fast and reliable communication between client and server. And while these proxies typically follow a standard mechanism to parse RFC 7230 compliant HTTP 1.1 requests, they may have differences in interpretation while parsing non-compliant requests. And these differences can cause desync where different proxies in the chain may disagree on request boundaries and therefore not process the same request. This could leave behind arbitrary messages that may be prepended to the next request in the queue and smuggled to the backend. Ultimately, request smuggling can make apps vulnerable to request queue or cache poisoning, which could lead to credential hijacking or execution of unauthorized commands, which we obviously do not want. So an option to mitigate desync is to allow requests that strictly conform to RFC. However, a large percentage of those requests include characters that don't strictly conform to RFC, which results in pursuing a strategy of only allowing requests that have strict conformance that could pose an availability risk for some legitimate use cases. So with this new feature, which is desync mitigation mode, your ALB or CLB will provide durable security while maintaining the availability and performance of your app. To accomplish this, the load balancer will classify every request based on its threat level using the open source library called HTTP Desync Guardian. And you can then configure your load balancer and choose the appropriate mitigation strategy based on the security needs of your app. With this feature, your ALB or CLB will mitigate threats to your app from HTTP vulnerabilities, both in the front of the load balancer and behind it. There are three modes you can choose among, which is defensive, strictest, and monitor. In defense mode, the load balancer performs three tasks, and it will first allow your app to receive known safe requests, irrespective of RFC 7230 compliance. Second, it will block requests that are not RFC compliant and are known security threats. And third, it will close both the client and upstream connections, irrespective of HTTP keep alive limits for ambiguous requests. So that's a really interesting feature. You can read about the other two modes. They look awesome. Uh, But that one is is really cool for security and uh, really helps you handle that desync state. Yeah. And and the nice thing is is that that desync mitigation mode is available for existing and new ALB CLBs at no extra charge in all AWS regions. So we want you to be secure. Speaking of which, Amazon VPC flow logs now have uh, cloud formation support for custom format subscriptions, one-minute aggregation intervals and tagging. So a bunch of updates there. 
And Amazon CloudFront now has a new regional edge case in AWS's Europe Island region, which uh, can improve uh, a lot of stuff up to 62% reduction in latency fetching content from the Island regional edge cache than the London regional edge cache. AWS App Mesh now has a new default mesh configuration. So you can have a default mesh retry policy and connection pool configuration that simplifies building applications resilient to connection errors and improves your application scalability. And moving on to the topic of quantum technologies, uh, as we've mentioned in other podcasts, we've talked a bit about this of late, so just uh, a quick touchback. Uh, quantum computing is now available on AWS through Amazon Bracket. This is a fully managed so quantum cool. computing service. It is very cool. That helps researchers and developers explore potential applications and evaluate current quantum computing technologies. Uh, it gives you a development environment to design quantum algorithms, test them on simulated quantum computers, and run them on different types of quantum computing hardware. And is probably the closest you'll come to ever using the most steampunk looking stuff you've ever seen i feel like a kid in a candy store with that announcement <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the topic of robotics robomaker world forge simplifies the creation of simulation worlds for robotics so world forge is a capability that streamlines testing and training robots in simulation by making it faster simpler and less expensive to create a multitude of virtual 3d worlds Building these worlds is required to test and train robotics apps in simulation. And before World Forge was announced, the process could require months of time and substantial expense for robotics companies. So you can now easily create simulation worlds in World Forge and use them in simulation run for testing, which is really cool. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now supports private CA sharing. So you can now share a private CA with any AWS account or within your organization. Customers manage a private CA in a central account and they can use AWS Resource Access Manager to share the CA with other accounts or organizations where SSL or TLS certificates will be issued. This eliminates the need to provision duplicate resources in every account in a multi-account environment, which reduces the cost and complexity of managing these resources in every account. Love it. Yeah. AWS Certificate Manager, Private Certificate Authority now also supports Private Link Endpoints. We've mentioned Private Link before, so now it's available. And Amazon GuardDuty has expanded threat detection coverage to help you better protect your data stored in Amazon S3. So this new capability adds S3 data events, lists, puts, and gets as a new log and event source that GuardDuty continuously profiles and to monitor data access behavior. Combine it with GuardDuty threat intelligence and identify suspicious activities such as data access from an unusual geolocation, API calls from known malicious IP addresses or unusual API calls consistent with malicious data discovery attempts. So very handy. Amazon Cognito user pools now supports customization of token expiration. So access tokens can be configured to expire in as little as five minutes or as long as 24 hours. And a tool I only recently dived into myself, AWS Security Hub, is a very nice way to see the world from a security standpoint. It has released seven new automated security controls for the AWS Foundational Security Best Practices Standards and 12 new controls for our PCI DSS standard as well. You can manage access to AWS centrally for one login users with AWS single sign-on. Customers can now connect their one login identity management platform to single sign-on once, manage access to AWS centrally and AWS SSO, and enable the end users to sign in using their one login credentials to access all their assigned AWS accounts. This integration will help simplify 
access management across multiple accounts while maintaining the familiar one login experience for admins who manage identities and end users as they sign in. AWS Firewall Manager now supports centralized logging of AWS WAF logs. So Firewall Manager now allows you to configure logging on your AWS WAF web ACLs centrally using an FMS policy. When you set up an FMS policy for AWS WAF, you can enable logging on web ACLs for all of the in-scope accounts and have the log centralized under a single account. Love centralized logging. Isn't that the best? <laughs> it is. Moving on to the topic of solutions, just going to list out a whole raft of solutions that became available. The serverless bot framework now has support for securely integrating with third-party APIs. There's a solution consulting offer for customer AI, for knowledge work automator, for FOG360 security. And you can also now have a new solution called Improving Forecast Accuracy with Machine Learning. So this uses forecast. And the multi-region infrastructure deployment solution version 1.1 is available now with automated rollbacks and AWS Cloud Formation drift detection. There's also a new solutions consulting offer called VPC in a Box. And there's also a new solution called Security Hub Automated Response and Remediation related to the Security Hub things we spoke about earlier. So a bunch of new things there in the solutions area. Moving on to the topic storage, AWS Storage Gateway adds data protection features for tape gateway. So storage gateway now supports write once, read many, and tape retention lock on tape gateway virtual tapes, providing you data protection features to meet your regulatory compliance. Of course, if you need to meet that compliance, this is a very useful feature for you, especially also if you use tapes. Storage Gateway also has expanded availability and streamlined ordering of the hardware appliance. So they've expanded international availability of the Storage Gateway hardware appliance to several regions in Asia Pacific, South America, and Canada, and has streamlining ordering through the console. The hardware is now available for shipping to more international destinations in addition to the US and Europe, and the ordering process is streamlined and easy and complies with corporate procurement policies for purchasing IT equipment. You can now request sales quotas and submit purchase orders directly on the console. Amazon FXX for Lustre has announced high-performance HDD-based shared storage for compute workloads. So now you have uh, even more choice when creating shared file systems for compute workloads. You can now choose between existing SSD storage options and two new HDD storage options, each offering a different levels of performance. The HDD options reduce storage costs by up to 80%. Yes, that's right. 80% for throughput intensive workloads that don't require the sub-millisecond latencies of SSD storage. So things like genome analysis, financial simulations, or seismic data processing. Amazon S3 access points now support the copy API. So you can copy data to and from access points within an AWS region. And this simplifies managing data access at scale for applications using shared data sets on S3. Things like usage and transaction logs for analytics and post-processing. Uh, S3 access points are unique host names that you can create to enforce distinct and precise permissions and network controls for any request made through the access point. It's pretty, pretty nifty. And finally, Amazon EBS direct APIs for snapshots are now available in the Europe, Milan and Africa, Cape Town region. So if you use those regions, these are APIs that you might find useful. Nikki, we did it. It took an hour. updates. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of updates. Uh, I'm barely. Uh, Hopefully there was something in there for everyone. Barely alive. Hey, Nikki, where do people find you? You can find me on Twitter. My username is 
knee like your knee and a key 23. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to message me. I always answer my Twitter DMs and, you know, we really appreciate your support for the podcast, especially after we do a hefty, hefty update show like the one we just did. <laughs> the funny thing is for people listening to this on like double speed, it's still going to take half an hour to get through. So hopefully remember <laughs> those chapter markers are there for a reason. So you can jump to the bits you're interested in. We do love to get your feedback. Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.